Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, Acts chapter number 2. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter number 2. If you've been with us on these Wednesday nights recently, you know that we've started a new series of uh, Bible studies on living by principles. And uh, you know that uh, when a Christian talks about what they believe, most times they talk about doctrine. We believe in the doctrine of heaven and doctrine of hell. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the doctrine of creation. We believe in the doctrine of the judgment to come. So most times when a Christian is identifying themselves, they talk about their doctrines, what they believe. But we are in a different series than doctrines. We're talking about principles. Preacher, what's a principle? It's a rule that we live by. A principle is a policy. It's a foundational philosophy. And a principle is different than a doctrine. It's kind of a ground rules that help us to make decisions. If you remember a few weeks ago, we just laid a foundation. All of our principles come from the Bible. And that's why the devil is so anxious to get the Bible out of our hands. Because all that we believe and all that we live by comes from this precious book. So first of all, the basis for our principles of the Word of God We found in the Word of God there are some very general guidelines. We find there is also some very clear commands. And you can either embrace those and believe those because God said it was so. Or they can simply be standards that someone else has enforced upon your life. And so we've looked at that. Then the next week we looked at the very first principle, principle of separation. Do you know before we got saved uh, we were just no different than the rest of this world. When we got saved, the Spirit of God moved inside. And he began to transform us to become just like Jesus Christ. That meant there are some things in our life that had to go. And as much as God could forcibly take them out of our life, the Spirit of God wants to lead us to separate from those things and So we looked at the the principle of separation. There are some people that as a Christian we need to stay away from. And God will help us to do that. And God will reward us for doing that. You say, well, preacher, why is that so important? Because every person that we spend time with leaves a footprint on our life. So we looked at the principle of separation, the principle of always putting God first. Put him first in the day and first in the week. Put him first in your life. Put him first in your, with your increase and first in your considerations. And then last time we looked at the principle of consecration. That word consecration is to dedicate your life solely to God. And we looked at that. Preacher, what are we looking at today? Look there in Acts chapter 2. If you would, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41 Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, very familiar verses. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they, that's these newly saved people, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I'd like to preach this evening on the principle of Christian fellowship the principle of Christian fellowship. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for each one that's here tonight. Some of our folks are not here, some dealing with sickness, some traveling, they're away, they're gone. 
Lord, we're so thankful for each one that has come. And I pray that you teach us yet another principle that ought to be a foundation that helps us in every decision that we make. Help us to understand why having a principle of Christian fellowship will help us to grow in our Christian life. Guide us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're reading from Acts 2. And I think most would understand that Acts 2 is called the Day of Pentecost. It happened 50 days after Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. When our Lord rose from the dead for the next 40 days, he walked this earth. Our Lord ascended back to heaven. And but a week later, there was this day called the Day of Pentecost. Happened in Jerusalem. We know that the 12 apostles were preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. And the very uh, last message, apparently, that day was the Apostle Peter. Look there, if you would, in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37. The Bible says, now, when they heard this, that's what Peter had just preached. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a good thing. When preaching happens and someone wants to respond, someone asks, what do we do? That's a good thing. And we know there in the very next verse that Peter said they needed to repent. We know that those are terms for get saved. That's exactly what they did was they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Look there in verse 41, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, that's they got saved. They were baptized and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Folks, very few churches have that kind of response. Very few revivals and special meetings have that kind of response to see 3,000 get saved. But if you have been involved in church work, you know the big concern at that moment with anyone that gets saved is how do we keep these people plugged into God? How do we keep these people faith to God, faithful to God? How do we keep these people going on in their spiritual walk? And that's what we read here in verse number 41. And then they that gladly received were baptized. Sorry, his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And it says, and they continued steadfastly. That's good words. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So we notice there that there's this word fellowship. Pastor, what exactly is fellowship? Somebody has described it in very simple terms. Fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. It's the people that you get along with. It's the people that you're closest to. And you know, once somebody trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's so important that right away they establish Christian fellowship in their life. We notice that uh, that's exactly what was happening here and God's purpose for your life and mine is not just to forgive our sins, not just to gain us an entrance into heaven, but God's purpose in saving our soul is that so we could have fellowship with God and have fellowship with other believers. And I say to you that when these 3,000 unbelievers heard the gospel, when they trusted Christ as their Savior, immediately there was an effort to plug them in to a group of Christians that would help them to grow. 
Again, we're looking this evening at the principle of Christian fellowship. And uh, if you and I have that kind of Christian fellowship established in our life, it'll help us. I give you several things about this tonight. Look again at Acts 2 and verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. If you're taking notes tonight, first of all, write this question down. What is the basis for our fellowship? Pastor, if fellowship is so important, what is the basis for the right kind of fellowship? Look again, verse 42, it says, and they. Well, Pastor, who is the they? Well, back up to verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. Could I say, first of all, the basis for our fellowship, the first word, that word they, points back to people who have already trusted Christ as their Savior. I know that this sounds so simple, but if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, your fellowship needs to be with other Christians. It needs to be with others who already have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does that fellowship and the basis of fellowship be with other Christians, but look again there at verse number 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, doctrine is truth. It's Bible truth. So not only did these that just got saved, not only were they plugged into having fellowship with other Christians, but they were plugged into having fellowship with other Christians that believed the same thing. Pastor, I've gotten saved. And I don't want to be a casualty in my Christian life. I don't want to be like so many that kind of fell away and no longer. Then you need to establish a fellowship with other Christians. And you need to establish a fellowship with other Christians that believe the same. If you believe in heaven, you need to find a fellowship with those that do believe in heaven. If you believe in uh, Jesus Christ and the Trinity, that's the kind of fellowship you need to get with you believe that the rapture is coming at any time, then you need to find fellowship with those kind of people. You say, oh, preacher, uh, you know, I wonder what's the basis for our fellowship again? It's with other Christians who hold to Bible doctrine. And I wonder who is it that you fellowship with? Think about your closest friends. Is it other Christians? Is it other Christians that believe the same thing? Well, Pastor, I do fellowship with other Christians, but quite honestly, they don't believe in the rapture. Quite honestly, preacher, they don't believe in a perfect Bible. Quite honestly, preacher, they don't even believe that there's a judgment seat of Christ. And you need to find different people to fellowship with. First of all, what is the basis for our fellowship? And the answer is it is to be with other Christians who hold to Bible doctrine. Do you know, Paul warned us, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So again, that's back to that whole separation idea. And a true Christian will struggle to find common ground with those that aren't saved and with those that don't believe the Bible. You know, the Bible says, Amos 3, 3, can two walk together unless they be agreed? And it's the very first thing, the basis for our fellowship it's to be with other Christians who hold to Bible doctrine. I give you a second thing. Look there in verse 44. 
Again, three th Acts 2 and verse 44, 3,000 have just gotten saved. They just got baptized. They're beginning to have fellowship with others who are saved and believe the same doctrine. Verse 44, it says, and all that believed were together. So it's not just that they had fellowship with others that were saved and fellowship with others that uh, believed the same truth, but they had this fellowship together somewhere. They gathered for fellowship somewhere. Where was that, Pastor? Well, look there in verse 46. Acts 2 and verse 46 says where they gathered, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Then look at the last part of verse number 47, and Lord added to the church. Could I say to you one about this principle of Christian fellowship? First, what's the basis for it? Well, you need fellowship with other Christians and other Christians that believe the same Bible doctrine. But second question is, where is the backbone of our Christian fellowship? Where is the backbone of our Christian fellowship? It shouldn't surprise you, it's not at Tim Hortons. And it's not at Walmart, and it's, uh, it's, it's not at 7-Eleven. It's not down at the curling rink. It's not at the skating arena. It, the place that these new believers fellowship was in the house of God. It's a church. And folks, that's what we're doing here tonight. We're fellowshipping with other Christians that agree the same truths of the Word of God, but the backbone of it all is they are found in the house of God. God planned for every Christian to get into a local church and establish regular fellowship with other believers there, and the church is the center of Christian fellowship. You know, if you know the New Testament, that all of the ministries that we read about in the New Testament and all of those missionary journeys that we read about in Acts, they were all sent out of local churches. Local churches, if you were, was, if you would, is the hub of Christian fellowship. It's more than a coincidence. Now think about this. You know it's true. That there are many people today that claim that they're saved, but they don't have any time for the house of God. They have no time for church. They have no priority in their life for church. And what they'll try to do is they'll try to convince you, I can be just as good of a Christian without attending church. How many of you ever heard something like that? Folks, we all have if you talk to people. And yet I want to remind you that every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote half of the New Testament. Every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament and that he signed his name to, all of them were written either to a local church or they were written to the leadership of a local church. If you carry that truth forward in Paul's day, nobody would have got the instructions of the Apostle Paul unless they attended a church and read it from the letters that were sent to those churches. So these people that say, I can be just as good of a Christian and not attend church that is foreign to the Word of God. Hear these in Acts chapter number 2 as they established their fellowship. They established it 
in a local church and they made sure that they found one and they got in it. Isn't it true? We've just come out of two years of COVID. And you are well aware of these things, but as that COVID pandemic, I think it was called, as that began to spread in the news, governments all over the world decided that they would shut down anything they felt was non-essential. And they decided that church was non-essential. The Bible says that church is more essential than any other business that's run in town. But again, that was the lost community that made those decisions. And so in many provinces and states and countries, government leaders decided that local churches were put on the non-essential list. But to God and the Christian, the local church is very essential. It's not an option. It's the backbone of fellowship. I've given you two things. First question is, what is the basis for our fellowship? Our fellowship is to be with other Christians who believe the same Bible truths. Secondly, what is the backbone of our Christian fellowship? It's to regularly meet together with God's people in a local church. I give you a third thing, and for that you can let go of Acts chapter 2. Look there in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and would you look here in verse number 11. Okay, preacher, you've made such a big deal about getting into church. Well, really, the Bible has. We're just repeating what the scriptures say. So the third question, if you're taking notes, if you'd write down, is what are the benefits of Christian fellowship? Okay, preacher, you make such a big deal of it. What is the big deal? What is accomplished by me being... Uh, in a local church and establishing fellowship there. Look there in 1 Thessalonians, one of the churches that Paul started, look there in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Paul says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. He's talking about a church meeting together. And what are they going to do when they fellowship together? Well, it says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. You know, comforting someone is when they might be going through a valley of their life. And folks, there are people that walk into this church, possibly every service, that are in some kind of a valley of their life. And you know one of the benefits that they ought to get when they come to fellowship with other Christians at God's house that verse number 11 says they ought to find comfort. It says again, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. And maybe you're saying, well, my life's in order. Everything is working fine. I've got money in the bank, gas in the, uh, gas in the tank. <laughs> Pastor, I don't need comfort. Well, you'd be one of the rare birds that doesn't. Because most people have something that's weighing them down. Again, we're trying to answer the third question. What are the benefits of Christian fellowship. And the first thing is it's a place to find comfort. Folks, this world isn't going to comfort you. They'll take from you. And they'll always be on the receiving end, but they'll never be on the giving end. So the first thing we see in verse 11 is one of the thing, benefits of Christian fellowship ought to be comfort. But notice the second thing, and edify. That word edify is just build someone up. Just build them up. And sometimes it's a building up with doctrine. Sometimes it's just a building up with 
encouraging words. Pastor, what are the benefits of Christian fellowship? We've seen that we uh, get and give spiritual strength and encouragement. How many have decided I'm not going to go to any church, I'll just stay home and watch it on TV or computer? Well, look there again at verse number 11, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. You can't do this if your church is at home on Internet. You can't do this if your church is at home on television. It says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. That means in church I ought to be edifying you, building you up, and that means in church you ought to be edifying me. You can't do that if you're sitting in a chair with your feet in a hassock and a Tim Hortons in your hand, watching a 21-inch screen. You say, well, they're comforting me. Yeah, but you're supposed to comfort them, too. And they're edifying you, but you're supposed to edify them at the same time. You can't do that unless you fellowship together with God's people. And, of course, people would answer, well, I have no interest in doing that for someone else. But that is the reason for fellowship. Again, we're looking at the benefits of Christian fellowship. Look there, if you would, let go of 1 Thessalonians, but look, if you would, in Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews, so 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11 Hebrews chapter number 11. Do you know church was never designed to be a spectator sport? You can do that in football, and you can do that in hockey. You can sit at home and watch it and scream and yell and tell them what they should have done. But that's never what church was designed to be. Church was never designed to be a spectator sport. It was designed to be an interactive activity. Look there at Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Hebrews 10 and 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I think it'd be pretty easy to see in that verse that the exhortation is now that you're saved, you need to hold fast in this Christian life and, and don't start wavering. Don't start teetering. Don't be up one day, down the next, encouraged one day, discouraged the next ready to charge hell with a squirt gun one week and, and, and running from the devil the next. He said there in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, how are you going to do that? Preacher, as a Christian, how am I going to keep from wavering and up and down and in and out and encouraged and discouraged and big smiley face and deep frowny face? How am I going to keep from wavering? He gives us two suggestions that'll do that. Jump there to verse 25, Hebrews 10, 25. First way you'll do that is not by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves to get the church as a manner of some is. So folks, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, we're going to find more and more Christians and you say, well, are, are you saved? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm saved. You're on your way to heaven? I sure am. Where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. <laughs> It says, as the manner of some is. There's a lot of folks that are forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Pastor, how am I going to keep in this Christian life of mine from wavering about my profession of faith? Get into an old-fashioned Bible-preaching church. Look at the last part of verse 25. 
but exhorting one another. That's a two-way street, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, that's the day the Lord returns. Not only getting in the house of God, look there in verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so, you know, as we're here, it's not just smiling at each other, and it's, it's encouraging us. It's provoking them to do what God says we ought to do. Again, we're looking tonight, third, at what are the benefits of Christian fellowship. One, it's, it's a source of comfort. And two, it's a place of edifying. And three, it's an opportunity to give and get strength and encouragement. I read this this week, and, and I, probably everybody else knows this. Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't. But you know, in California, if you go to some of those national parks, they have what they call giant redwood trees. How many have ever heard about the redwood trees, seen pictures of the redwood trees? Four. You know, there is one particular redwood tree called the General Sherman tree. Anyone heard of that one before? Oh, we're down just for the fair. The General Sherman tree in the Sequoia National Park is said to be about 2,000 years old. So we'll give them a little latitude there. But they're saying that that tree is about 2,000 years old. It stands 275 feet tall. It's 36 feet in diameter at the base. And people that come and see that, or at least see the lower section of that, people that come and see that uh, giant General Sherman tree, they assume that a tree that can reach that high, that that kind of a tree must have roots that go equally that far deep. They think that. But it said it in this article that, uh, contrary to what tourists might assume, the redwood tree actually has very shallow roots. They don't go very deep. You say, well, how does something that tall possibly hold up to the winds and the storm? Because although the roots of that kind of a tree don't go that deep, their roots, they're shallow, but they run sideways. And they wrap around the next redwood tree, and then they wrap around the next redwood tree, and then they wrap around, you can understand the picture, you have a complete webbing of roots that's under that ground, not even very deep. And so the, when the wind begins to blow on one, it just can't seem to do much effect on that one because they're all connected underneath. Folks, that's a beautiful picture of a local church. Now, I know that there are people and families that are related, and you married uh, him and her, and so there's cousins and second cousins twice removed. But you know, it ought to be true because we're believers in a local church. Whether there is any blood relationship to you or someone else or not, there ought to be that kind of a bond and that kind of a support. And when you walk into this church and see somebody that's got a longer face than normal and drooped shoulders more than normal, folks, that's your opportunity to give some encouragement to them. That's why it's so important, this principle of Christian fellowship. And you know, when each of us comes to church, we ought to be looking for people that just need a little bit of encouragement. You can let go of Hebrews. Look there in Psalm 73. Psalm chapter 73, you never know who's coming into the church for the last time. 
because they have got more on their shoulders than they can carry. And as much as it's true that they ought to get sufficient strength from God and his word, the reality is that God designed that Christians come to church to find strength and help. Psalm 73, if you have a subtitle under Psalm 73, is written by Asaph. We won't turn to the text, but Asaph in 1 Chronicles 15, 19, he was one of the singers in the house of God. Notice what Asaph, uh, what he's singing in verse 1. Psalm 73 in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. Now, how many would agree with the song of verse 1? How many think that that's true? Let me read it again. If this is a song, truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. How many think that's true? Of course it's true. And I kind of think that was his song. And maybe in front of that church setting, he was singing how good God is. But you know, behind the words and the voice that sang those words, in his heart were some troubled waters. Look at it, verse 2. But as for me, so in spite of the fact that he had a great voice and sang a great song, He's admitting in verse number two that there is trouble down deep in his heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Why is he having such a problem? For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So now picture this. Here, here it is. We have a, it is time for a special song and Asaph comes and stands behind the pulpit and he begins to sing with all the instruments backing up and people are saying... That is a blessing. And I'm sure it was. People probably thought to himself, that guy, I mean, he is on top of the world. But in his heart was trouble. And his particular trouble is, as he looked at the people of the world, they began to envy them. How come they, they don't even believe in God? And look how they seem to be blessed in this life. Bigger houses, faster cars, faster horses, uh, so much more. There was a strife going on. And could I say to you that there are people in this church who might have a smile on their face, and they might even have a song from their lips that blesses other people's hearts. But inside their own heart, there is trouble. And so as you continue, and we won't take time to read it, but... Uh, He's really complaining, look at verse 4, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. So from verse number 2 all the way there to verse number 15, he complains about what he sees at the world. Man, they're just rich times ten. And here, Lord, I serve you, I love you, and Lord, it's not fair. In fact, look at verse 16. Asaph says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I wonder if he was thinking of quitting. I wonder if he, like so many other Christians, were just saying, God, it's just not fair. And yet, he must have got over it. Say, how do you know? Because he wrote Psalm 73. If he failed in the middle of those doldrums, he would have never written this chapter. 
But because after he went through that valley, he wrote Psalm 73, something helped him out of that valley, and that's verse 17. Psalm 73, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. And he said, you know what? I was feeling so, I was feeling so sorry for myself. I mean, the world's getting by with murder, and they're getting paid for it. And what do I get? I get nothing. And he said in verse 16, it was too much for me. But he said, when I walked into that house of God, that's what changed me. We're trying to say, what are the benefits of Christian fellowship? If you're on the bottom, if your chin is rubbing the carpet, that's the place that'll lift you out of that. That's the place that will help you. The principle of Christian fellowship. I give you the last one. There in First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. So we have already looked tonight. What is the basis for our fellowship? It's to be with other Christians who hold to the same doctrine, First Timothy four. Secondly, where is the backbone of our Christian fellowship? It ought to be in a local church, meeting with other believers. Third, what are the benefits of Christian fellowship? It's where we get and give spiritual strength and encouragement. But finally, 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Look there, if you would, in verse number 1. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, do you know, I give you a fourth question. If you're taking notes tonight, why is there such a breaching? Breaching is a break, a terminating. Why is there such a breaching of Christian fellowship? And folks, if you have paid attention like I do, you know that there, there seem to be Christians that are walking away from churches. And you can't even keep up with that. And yes, thank God, some are going to another church. Granted, some are weaker churches in the faith and their guidelines and standards and their, their, their efforts to win the lost are of a different caliber. But folks, there are some that are departing completely. Look at verse 1 again. It says, some shall depart from the faith. Keep that thought. Look there in chapter 5 and verse 8. Chapter 5 and verse 8, he says in the last half of the verse, he hath denied the faith. So we have some departing from the faith. We have some denying the faith. That's chapter 5, verse 8. Look there in chapter 5, verse 12. Last part of chapter 5 and verse 12, who have cast off their first faith. And look there at chapter number 6 and verse 10. Chapter 6 and verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have covered after they have erred from the faith. And then one more, chapter 6 and verse 21. Which some professing have erred concerning the faith. I, it, those are all bad. <laughs> those are all a picture of people who at one point found strength in the fellowship of God's people. And now they're walking from it. And you say, Pastor, why is that happening? 
And if I can close with this thought, the reason it's happening is found in each of those very verses. You say, oh, preacher, I'm in church, I'm in Christian fellowship with God's people. That might be true today. Well, let me show you real quickly what will change that. Back to chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you know the reason that some people are knocked out of the fellowship of God's people is they are paying attention to wrong doctrines? Folks, if you get on a television program, on an internet website, if you pick up a book of somebody and start reading it, and they begin to question the doctrines of the Word of God, that's the time to turn it off, change the channel, find another site, close the book, turn on your heels and walk away. Because some people are abandoning the Christian fellowship because they're taking heed to wrong doctrines. And as a pastor, I talk to folks all the time, and people come to me and say, Preacher, I've just recently been reading this book. As soon as they make a statement like that, my antenna goes up. And I say, well, what's the book saying? And I can't tell you the number of times somebody comes with an off-the-wall doctrine, and I'll look at them and say, you know, that's not true. Well, yeah, preacher, I know what you say, but, but shut the book. Change the channel. Hit the stop on, I was going to say this tape deck. Stop, because that's the reason why some are abandoning Christian fellowship. I give you the second one. Look there in chapter 5, verse 8. Again, these are all reasons why people are abandoning Christian fellowship. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. Some are abandoning the responsibilities that God has already given them. If, you are, if you're married, sir, God's given you the responsibility of your family. You dare not abandon that responsibility. If you're a mother, a housewife, God's given you responsibility. If you have a ministry in the church, God's given you a responsibility. And if people are watching you walk away from the ministry that God has given you, you are a candidate to walk away from Christian fellowship. Real quickly, look there at chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12, having damnation because they have caught, cast off their first faith. We don't have time to get into it, but this is a widow who made some promises to God. And now she's abandoned those promises. I, I give you chapter 6 and verse 10. Chapter 6 and verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pastor, why is it that some are walking away from Christian fellowship? The draw for more money, the love of money, is the root of all evil. Folks, you know it's true. There are some people that are offered a dollar or more somewhere else, and they move there. No church, no Christian fellowship, but the dollar more an hour is enough to get them to sacrifice all that they already have. Before you move, check the church out. 
before you move, make sure there's solid fellowship that's there. And then chapter 6 and verse 21 says, with some professing of erred concerning the faith, I'm sorry, verse 20, says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings. And oppositions of science, falsely so-called. There are some people that they just get caught up into nonsensical talk. I was in a conversation with a preacher in this last week. And he called me up and he said, Brother Carlson, I know you like to work with Bible difficulties. And he said, I came across this question. And he said, what are you going to do with this question? And I said, this is going to sound very cowardly but I'm not going to do anything with it. Because it said, the further, sir, that you go down that road, it's going to hurt your fellowship with God and your fellowship with God's people. I say to you, it's, it's a heartbreak. The people that are abandoning what should be a principle in their life, Christian fellowship. You know, you've heard many stories of Christians that were arrested, communistic countries. I read of a Christian pastor who was a prisoner for two years in a Nazi prison camp. In April of 1945, he was finally executed. And he was executed by the order of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's executioner. He'd been arrested two years earlier over that period of two years that he was under arrest, he was transferred from prison to prison to prison. I'm going to pronounce these names wrong, but he went to Tegel and to Berlin and Buchenwald and Schonhertberg and Flossenburg. And, and in all that moving from place to place, he lost all contact with the outside world. And everyone that knew uh, he knew was severed from him. But by his own testimony, he lost something that was even more precious than people in the outside world. He lost his fellowship with God's people. He had written a book some years earlier. And that book was about Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And in that book, he wrote of the richness of having fellowship with other Christians. And all of that he lost during his two years of imprisonment. Two quotes from his book. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to every believer. A physical sign of the gracious presence of God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship with other Christians. And he said, let him who has such a privilege, that's to be regularly with other Christians, to get on his knees and thank God and declare that it is grace, nothing but grace, that we're allowed to live in fellowship with other Christians. Folks, I don't know your attitude uh, Sunday morning before church or Sunday night before church or Wednesday night before church. I wonder if you're looking forward to fellowship with God's people. It ought to be true. 
And as this world hurls a thousand things your way, what about, how about we, let's go do, let's be a part of, how about join in with us? One of the principles will be, is that going to hurt my Christian fellowship? We talked tonight about the principle of Christian fellowship. So important. In every decision that you make, will this hurt my fellowship with God and will this hurt my fellowship with Christian people? And folks, every time you walk in those doors, your heart may be heavy with a burden. But if you think about it, your burden might not be as heavy as somebody else's. And it may not be that God wants you to share your burden with everybody. But it may be that God brought you here to that service so that you could help lift somebody else's burden. That's a principle of Christian fellowship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Help us to understand it. Lord, we know in the two years that we went through the whole COVID lockdown, how many times we were not allowed to have Christian fellowship in the four walls of this building and how we missed it. Lord, I pray it would be true.